Hi. Um, so my name is Dr. Emma Beard. I work in the Department of Epidemiology and Public Health at UCL. Um, and my role is a lecturer in statistics, but I also work with the research department of behavioural science and health. And um, a lot of my research focuses on the analysis of big data sets, specifically looking at the prevalence of smoking and the impact of policies, but also um, high risk alcohol um, consumption. So I originally applied for this impact fellowship because I was interested in making the move from simply just publishing articles to my articles actually having an impact um, on public health policy. Um, I also wanted to increase um, my kind of knowledge and skills of engaging with different stakeholders and also in particular with the public. So I've had very little experience in those two scenarios, working mostly um, with kind of academics, statisticians and doctors. Um, and so I really wanted to um, increase my skills, but at the same time, I think having support to identify those stakeholders um, and then uh, ideas um, and new skills on how to actually interact with them and to relay kind of the research that I've done um, effectively. The goal of this um, fellowship project was, um, as kind of the main point, was to identify whether household surveys um, specifically assessing smoking prevalence are kind of reflective of um, the population at large. So household surveys, um, which measure smoking, obviously recruit those who live in households. And there's this group of individuals known generally as a hidden population, which household surveys do not cover. And this includes those who are sleeping rough, um, those in temporary accommodation, also those in communal establishments, um, travellers um, and sofa surfers. So there's a, a big kind of array of definition of those excluded from these um, household surveys. And the problem is, is that smoking prevalence tends to be higher among some of these hidden populations. And so excluding them from population level surveys might actually lead to an underestimation of smoking prevalence. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because government decisions on smoking policies tend to rely on the prevalence of smoking at any one time and also the prevalence among certain groups. And the government's goal is to eventually, hopefully by 2030, to actually reduce smoking prevalence to below 5%. But if we are actually at a higher prevalence than the government um, statistics estimate, because we only sample household surveys, this would mean that we would actually reach that um, prevalence of less than 5% at a much later date than currently predicted. And so this would suggest that we possibly need more um, policies to be implemented, perhaps changing the age of sale, increasing it as other countries have, including New Zealand. So this is why it's really important. And as part of this project, um, I aim to estimate the hidden population uh, within the UK um, using a work um, book based method, which is basically using government statistics across um, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and England. Um, and then from that, look at the various studies which have been conducted to assess smoking prevalence within those hidden populations and estimate what the true smoking prevalence would be if it wasn't just household surveys that were sampled, sorry, households that were sampled, but we also included hidden populations in the sampling frame. And as part of this project, I've estimated that the prevalence may actually be 1% to 2%, even 3% higher than it is currently estimated to be at around 13%. So it might instead be around 15%. So this has huge implications. Now, as part of this report, I also recognise that there's limitations in the data that is currently available. It's very hard to um, sample uh, certain hidden groups um, and there needs to be more research um, into kind of the actual true prevalence of the hidden population. 
But nonetheless, um, I hope this draws attention to the issue. Um, and I th hope after the fellowship that this actually stimulates um, greater discussion. And at a bare minimum, I think it's really important to make the public aware um, of the accuracy and confidence that we can have in prevalence um, statistics. So we saw during um, the COVID um, era, so over the two years, that um, statistics was given more commonly to the public and they were, the public became more used to hearing about confidence intervals and effect sizes, but put in kind of lay language, such as a margin of error. Um, and I think it's important that with any prevalence statistics that we take that on board and we convey to the public that although smoking prevalence, for example, might be around 13%, it could be as high as 15 or 16%. And the limitations of the data that we've collected so actually make the public aware that this is household surveys and it excludes a certain um, group of individuals who may be actually at high risk of um, morbidity and mortality as a consequence of their smoking. Um, as um, my project goes on, um, the goal is in the next um, few weeks to actually get feedback from members of the public in these hidden populations on their views on, on the report and the findings, but also from those working um, or the key stakeholders working within kind of the Office for National Statistics. And I know they have some work underway um, at the moment, which is trying to identify issues with excluding these hidden populations. Um, and ultimately, um, I would just like to um, in some way or another, and I don't know if this would be through um, a website, but just increase the kind of public's awareness around statistics and statistical reporting, and so that they, they can take more kind of judgments themselves as to whether um, the statistics that are given to them, perhaps on smoking prevalence, are reliable or not. Um, acknowledging at the same time that there is um, an issue with statistical literacy, and we will need to think about the communication um, of the stats effectively. Yeah, so I've always been interested in kind of statistical literacy, and I think a lot of the problem um, stems from the fact that um, as kind of academics or scientists, we like to use complicated jargon and we like to show that we're clever and we, we've learned things and we know what we're talking about. At the same time, I think there's a way to communicate um, not just kind of effect sizes and means um, that the public generally hear about, but also the quality of the data, variability, our confidence in it in a manner in which the public can understand. But at the same time, it's I think it's quite OK for us to explain what those things mean. So we can say that um, we are confident that, I don't know, smoking prevalence maybe lies between 10 and 15 percent. And we can relay how confident that we are uh, regarding that. And we can maybe give a margin of error and explain a little bit more. And I think since COVID, my interest has grown within this area because it was kind of the first time in which the public were really given quite complicated statistical terminologies because they had forecasting and modelling and all these things were given on the news. And over time, um, I think a lot of the public were becoming more kind of um, attuned and um, aware of what these terms meant. Um, and I, I think there's a, a kind of a general feeling now that um, perhaps there's ways in which we can increase statistical literacy. And one of those might be actually through um, kind of applied uh, research, such as what we've done in this project here, um, by just communicating our findings, explaining the terms, but not ignoring those things. So we shouldn't just not tell the public about confidence intervals because they don't understand what they are. We can tell them, give them examples, maybe use graphical figures. So 
for example, I think you can use like fan graphs, um, which basically would show um, the average smoking prevalence over time, but also um, it would have values above and below, which would show how confident we are um, with the estimates um, each month. Um, there's a group at Cambridge University, and I'm sure there's um, a number of other universities which also have groups specifically looking at um, communicating statistics and statistical literacy and what we can do to help people um, in those scenarios and I think that's something that perhaps after uh, this project's been completed maybe there's some sort of collaboration there was uh, a group that I should um, get in contact with but it's it's something that I think is important and for our research to have impact we need to ensure that the public are given accurate um, information on the quality um, the confidence we have as I said um, and not just kind of the effect of this size. So they don't want to just know how at risk they are, how confident are we in that estimate? Um, and so for example, with the project that we've done um, on the household surveys and smoking, I think it's important for the public to know that we are reasonably confident that smoking prevalence may be as stated by the Office for National Statistics, but at the same time, um, there is an error of mar there is a margin of error, um, and it could be between this value and this value. And perhaps more research is needed on the best way to communicate that. So my ultimate goal was to have had um, a workshop with everybody attend. Um, I think that was like overly ambitious given the stakeholders involved, um, simply because it was, it's been very hard to get everyone to sign up to a specific time. Um, so from the particular stakeholders that we're interested in, um, I'm going to email them the report and ask for written feedback. Um, but within UCL, um, I've already um, set up a kind of face-to-face -face workshop with the academics who are interested in this particular project for us to have a discussion and think about the ways forward, um, how confident we are in the report, what, what the next stages are. Um, I've also contacted um, a number of members of the public who have been um, involved um, with other projects we have done, um, who would be happy to uh, provide feedback and comments um, on the report, not the kind of technical details, but what they think the implications are, um, even perhaps kind of our terminology and definitions um, that we use within the report. And I think that can be uh, quite easy done on a kind of one-to-one -one basis, um, perhaps online to make it um, easier. As a kind of a whole, it's drawing all that information together. Um, so we'll amend the report um, in response to those comments. But also, I'm hoping that that will kind of drive the discussion of where kind of the next steps are, what needs to be done. And eventually, um, it would be really nice to have kind of you know, give a seminar or public seminar or presentation kind of on the um, how statistics can be communicated, uh, a bit of kind of on the literacy of statistics as well, and then focusing specifically um, on this project and its implications. We're still at the early stages of this work, but I think the potential is, and I think in the very short term, is I think it's quite easy on a government website to not just give a prevalence statistic, but to talk about how confident you are with the result. And often this information is put in an appendix or um, a separate section, which isn't clear to the general public. And I think we need to be more open and honest about our research. Um, in the longer term, I know the Office for National Statistical Statistics are aware of the issue of household surveys and the exclusion of this hidden population. And there's a working group currently um, discussing um, what the size of the hidden population may be. And I think once that kind of 
report is published, we can use that in our research. So I think the main limitation is actually just estimating the size of the hidden population. Once we know the size of the hidden population, we can model the impact that has on actual uh, prevalence statistics which are reported. A lot of um, policies um, and treatment for smokers um, rely on accurate um, estimation of those within certain kind of stratified groups. So if we are, there's a big problem if we're underestimating smoking because it means that certain policies might not be implemented because the government is happy with the way things are going. Um, but at the same time, it's even more severe if we are underestimating in specifically in specific high risk groups. So those from lower socioeconomic um, deprived backgrounds. Um, and I feel and I haven't assessed this, but I, I think the problem may be greater among those individuals um, with this underestimation. Um, and therefore, it may be that we're not we're not providing enough support and targeted treatment to those who are most at risk. And I think this that has big implications in itself. So, um, as I, I said previously, um, the government aims to reduce smoking prevalence below 5%. If we stay with the current measurement, when the government reaches that target, they may cease um, or slow down um, on their tobacco treatment implementation and their policies. And so that will then lead a group of individuals who are hidden or not included in those surveys still being at risk, not receiving um, the help that they need. And it may be that those are the most disadvantaged um, individuals um, who have the greatest kind of social inequalities. One thing that's taken me by surprise is I thought beforehand that I was very involved in impact. Um, so I thought beforehand, well, I've um, done some work with PHE, I've worked with charities, um, I publish a lot of articles, I've done a few press releases, so my research is having impact. But actually, as I've taken part in the fellowship, um, I've come to realise that impact actually means kind of a very different thing to what I first thought about. And I'm much more interested now, not just in getting that publication, which I suppose I was driven by during my PhD, but actually that publication having an impact in the real world and actually doing research, not just for research sake, but actually to help um, the public. And in particular, I see um, a much greater need for me to engage with the public in research. So for a very long time, I thought, well, the public might have a little bit of a role if I'm doing a randomized controlled trial um, in thinking about kind of the feasibility um, or kind of the logistics. I might ask kind of qualitative questions with the public after I've done a particular study to get some feedback. But I think the public can be involved at all of the stages and also at the very end stage in helping communicating to communicate the findings and then therefore have an impact. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that I've kind of, for me, that I've realised um, during this fellowship. Um, I think another thing is the complexity of actually engaging with stakeholders when I'm initiating the contact. So previously, um, I mean, I've been invited to talk to stakeholders, but it's been through someone else. Meetings have been set up and it's all been um, arranged. And I think there's a big difference when you're trying to arrange things yourself and you have to be quite organised um, and also pushy and make sure that you um, kind of badger them to uh, respond to emails um, if you can. So I think those are um, the main things. At the same time, um, I think I've realised that I knew a little bit more about how to engage with stakeholders than I thought I knew and I'd picked up on. And I think that's the nice thing about the fellowship is I've actually, it's a way of practicing and actually using your skills, which I didn't know I had beforehand. Um, and then at the same time, brushing up on them 
um, after receiving um, kind of feedback and discussing um, those bits with um, fellows um, on the fellowship as well. So the nice thing in our department is um, there's two other fellows who work very closely with me. So we've been able to bounce ideas off and we're collaborating um, on this particular project as well. I suppose from a kind of an academic viewpoint, because I'm a bit geeky when it comes to stats, I like the fact that it appears that there is likely um, a big issue with um, kind of coverage error, error and ignoring hidden populations. And so um, I'm quite happy that, you know, that we're showing this effect and that there's a there's something here that needs to be investigated further and i suppose that made me smile i think i was on maternity leave um and then we had covid over like a three-year period um and i think the nice thing that this is, seems to have got me back into kind of the communicating and working with individuals in different departments um and so it's just been quite nice um coming out of my shell a little bit after i've been um off work for a while um, and really getting back into um the subject area and doing something that i really enjoy as well so a lot of my research to date has been dictated by um the kind of wider research group what the fundamental um research questions are and this is particularly my own project so something that i've kind of come up with and that i can decide on the direction with as well um i think the only thing to add is i think this is a great fellowship, a brilliant idea. Um, and I think it will be, I, I mean, anyone who gets involved in this in the coming years, um, if they're academic staff, PhD students or, or administrative staff, I think they'll really, um, they'll reap the benefits out of it and really get a, a good grasp of kind of the way in which we can ensure impact of our research. And also in particular, as I said before, just improving our engagement with the public and stakeholders generally.